0: Double J, Jeff Jarrett here to tell you about SaveWithConrad.com. You've heard Conrad talk about the total nonstop savings they've provided current homeowners. But did you know Conrad and his team can also help my world listeners become homeowners? They make buying a home easier than getting the bag after a good housekeeping
1: match. But don't take the last outlaw's word for it. Franklin Dove, Orlando, Florida. After listening to all of Conrad's podcasts, and hearing the different stories that he shared, I felt the time was right for me to explore buying a home again and uh, reached out and one thing led to another and finally closed last week. It was excellent. Uh, Everything flowed smoothly. From my first contact, I just put in the initial request online. Francis reached out. We started the application process, got the approval moving. Holly was great. Larry Thompson was amazing. Everything was smooth. Communication was perfect. Really, it was a a much better experience than anything that I could have imagined. My name is Franklin Dove in Orlando, Florida, and I got into my dream home thanks to SaveWithConrad.com. That's right. In my world, it doesn't
0: get any better than five stars. Don't let your landlord get over on you. Walk out on
2: that bad deal and stop throwing your money away on rent today with SaveWithConrad.com. That's right. It's SaveWithConrad.com.
0: NMLS number 65084 Equal housing lender.
1: Woo! Uh, So, I'm curious. The first time you try this spot, I mean, you're not actually doing it on a show. This is a practice thing. The first time I tried the hangman was on a show. Um, in front of fans. Yeah, in front of fans.
0: So uh, it was. You know, what's funny is, um, I remember uh, Shane and I when we uh, we were part of uh, UWF. Bill Watts's UWF was expanding into new areas. They were attempting to run shows in new areas because uh, they were real dependent on the the mid southern oil towns. And when there was a downturn in the economy, you could see that reflected on the attendance. But Watts had this great syndicated package, and they started venturing to other cities or towns where their uh, TV was strong. So Shane and I, we worked uh, 100 West Virginia, that's where I met Missy Hyatt, who walked in on me while I was naked. Didn't walk in on me, it was just one of those uh, Bathrooms where there's no stalls right and she happens to walk in and the hardcore legend was uh, in the pooping process So That
1: was the first,
0: <laughs> that was the first meeting um, And so Shane and I were tearing it down uh, By the standards of the day as independents, you know, we were we'd be in the opening match and we were doing everything We could and we could do qu- quite a few things especially by the standards of the time and I think that's the first night we threw in the, uh, the hangman in front of Eddie and Missy and bu- Buddy Jack Roberts. But I'd probably done it a time or two before that. So a couple days later, uh, Shane and I are walking from our motel. I won't even call it a hotel because it was a mo- almost decidedly a motel. And Missy and Eddie, who were married at that time, drive by and they can tell that Shane and I are talking over a high spot and Eddie could tell what high spot it was just by the verbal language because Shane would kip up and he would give me an enzugiri. And that's what would send me through the, the ropes. I see. And so they were able to deduce that just by our body language. So here we are. We think we're protecting the business. We're actually walking in public, going over high spots that Eddie Gilbert can call based on our body language. That's so, so I was using that bad boy as far back as 86. And a, with the knowledge that there was a price to pay for it, no one else, no one else dared do it. I think uh, there's some great footage uh, that I have managed to hold on to of Bray Wyatt asking me to show him that move in 2013, wow. while I am in full Santa Claus regalia. So I, I said, "Hey, I, I sent it to him, and I said, "Someday when they do the Bray Wyatt DVD." You're gonna want this footage. So
1: yeah. I'll try to dig it up for you. That'd be cool to find. Hilarious. Right? The idea that Santa Claus is telling him how Santa to do it. Santa Claus is showing him how to
0: do it. But now there's a definite. Now I look at those ropes. I was like, I don't. First of all, I don't think I can pull myself out. And on the night we we're going to discuss in Germany, I didn't. I did pull myself out, but it wasn't an altogether successful excavation project. But it was a. It was a difficult, difficult move. And there would be, you know, and I'd have these big splits in the back of my ear Mm. on four or five occasions. Um, I'd had it enough, Conrad, to know that, you know, the back of your ear is mostly cartilage. It doesn't bleed. It just, but it hurts, you know, and it's crazy. It's laid wide open, no blood, drop or two of blood. And then when we fast forward and talk in depth about the night in Germany, there was a lot of blood which is why I realized this was uh, above and beyond any ear injury I'd, I'd had doing this move.
1: When you're getting those ear injuries, uh, not that night in Germany, but before, did it ever cross your mind that, hey, this is a possibility? This thing could come off?
0: <laughs> no, 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 it hadn't. Um, because I thought the only way the ear would come off if it was cauliflowered. And some ears will do it, and some ears will not. And by virtue of the fact that I'd been through this thing, I guess on like 10, 12 different occasions to where even if you didn't have the split, then if you did, you'd still get go through this process where the ear would turn all these colors, you know, go from a dark black and purple to a greenish hue and then it's tailing off on yellow. And all that time, it's incredibly sensitive and incredibly painful. Um, in Japan, the reason all, all the workers walk around with the cauliflower ears is because it's encouraged and right. influenced. It's a badge of honor. It's a badge of honor and everyone wants it and you're, it's, it's almost like there's something uh, missing if you don't have it. So they do the, the, you know, what you're supposed to do if you think you have it, put ice on it, attend to it, drain it, whatever you have to do. Then in Japan, you know, they whack you in the ear and they break those blood vessels. And then instead of handing you an ice pack, they hand you a heating pad. Oh. Uh, yeah, and the guys want it. It's not something it's not something that's uncalled for. It's called for and everyone wants it. But in my history, I just never got cauliflower ear. Even my right. amateur wrestled, you know, for my senior year, had this injury uh, 12, 13 times. It just never happened. So it never dawned on me that it could get worse. I thought, this is a price I'm willing to pay. You know, I have a split in my ear, it hurts like crazy. Was it it's, always, the same, it always the
1: same one? It was always
0: Never the same one. It was Never the
1: inside ear, always the outside right.
0: ear. Right, yeah, it was always the outside ear. And uh, oddly, when I did the King of the Deathmatch tournament in uh, Japan, I nearly lost the left ear in the barbed wire. So that would have left me in a very unique situation, being a, a man with no ears.
1: i'm curious is there um i mean it doesn't sound like it but is there a best practice to doing the spot i mean you want to be in the center of the ring i would assume yeah
0: yeah i don't i don't know what's something people should be practicing in looser ropes
1: well that's what i wanted to ask Um, because in my head it feels like and again i know you would never do this but i'm thinking man if i know i got to do that spot we're gonna have to turn that turnbuckle a few times and Loosen those ropes a little loosen more. Loosen up a little bit. Yeah. Um,
0: and on the night in Germany, they were extra tight. Uh, I tried arguing that was WCW's doing and hiring a, uh, a ring crew that was actually a ro- rock and roll road crew instead of a you know, um, specialized ring crew. Uh, those rights, the ropes were tighter. I don't, yeah, I, and it's such a specialty move. If you use it too often, it, it becomes me. It loses some of its meaning.
1: We well, might tip your hand too if the audience sees the sees guys. somebody yeah. out
0: there loosening it up.
1: Yeah. I thought
0: when I got to WWE that the move would be easier
1: because of the rope difference. I mean, the ropes.
0: It wasn't that much easier. It, I mean, I, I I did it maybe six, seven times in WWE, and it was always difficult to, to get out. And there's this uh, moment in Mind Games. Uh, this is one of the top like. Five, you know, five, ten seconds of my career is that Sean Michaels and I have a lot going on, and it culminates with me uh, taking the bump and hanging my head in the ropes. Sean comes over, bam, I hit him with the mandible claw. And what he does is he's selling while simultaneously trying to help me get out of there, which is pretty cool. Instead of somebody coming in absolutely looking like they're trying to help their opponent out of a bad situation, Shawn did it while he was selling, and I think Earl Hebner may have been in on that, trying to uh, get out of there. There was one other situation I did it in a major match in WWE where it was uh, uh, Mankind versus The Undertaker, uh, April 1997. So
1: I'm the first. Revenge of the Taker. Yeah, Revenge of the Taker.
0: And uh, as you and I talked about last week, uh, when I came in as Mankind, the internet was uh, maybe in its infancy at that time, uh, of course, the, you know anyone who read the sheets knew that I was Cactus Jack and anyone who had watched WCW knew. But I'd say 75% of the audience did not know this is about a week before I give, uh, or maybe I've already given the interview with Jim Ross. That would turn the tide on that whole, you know, the Foley character and, and introduce the world to dude love. But at the time, nobody knew what I looked like. Maybe I was thinking that because this interview was out there, people were going to find out, so I might as well expose it anyway. And so I was going to do the hangman, and in getting out, the mask was going to stay. Oh, that's cool. And pretty cool visual. And because I was, at the time, no longer, I'm uh, not a believer in special effects, really believed that if something was done to alter my look, it had to be that old-school way, which Robert Fuller introduced to me as boogering the eye uh, with a towel, rubbing off some of the skin. And I thought, wow, a towel is good, sandpaper would be better. Oh. And so this was one of maybe three times that I had uh, molded some pretty good-looking bruises Um, with a piece of sandpaper and in this case since the world is going to see me and I want to look hideous now all I would have had to do is go to Jerry Lawler who could have made me up to look hideous in ten minutes right yeah Uh, a Richie Posner I'm sure could have done something similar but Lawler he specialized in those bruises and instead I more or less rubbed off a good portion of the right side of my face but never told Kevin Dunn that we were looking to expose the hideous nature of mankind underneath that mask. So we hit that thing perfectly, I squeeze out, out off comes the mask, and they never showed a single solitary moment of mankind without his mask. He's not wanting to spoil it. They, they thought it had been a mistake. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and so I walked around with a hideous bruise on my face, which turns into a scab after about three or four days. Gross. But that was what I was looking to do. Um,
1: did it, you know it didn't air, or when did
0: you find out it didn't? Well, it was air? only when I watched it back, and I was like, but wow, what, what, yeah. And it's again, that, that's all I had to do is go and say, listen, this is what I want to do. They went past it by Vince, and if Vince didn't want people to see him without the mask, he could Ixnate it.
1: Well, that was a teachable moment for you. Uh, definitely you know, for a teachable year. moment
0: yeah yeah, yeah. i had mean, a lot of my mind you know we did the big uh, uh bump through the t- head first bump through the table that had never been done before no. or since you know uh which was a
1: <laughs> an unbelievable visual
0: <laughs> a cool visual with my feet sticking up through yes. that big hall right um but going back to the hangman there was always a there was always a price to pay.
1: Uh, you wrote in your book your first night back with the company, The Rock approaches you, and you guys reminisced about the Rock and sock connection, and he gave you what almost sounded like an apology. Quote Mick, when we teamed up, I was new to being a baby face. I almost felt like I was walking on eggshells, but I just watched some of that stuff we did, and man, that was some really funny shit. If we were to do some things together now, I'd be up for anything.
0: It's really nice. I forgot about that.
1: Is this like a maybe almost a redemption tour? Because you're no longer and listen, I know everybody has friends in wrestling, but on some level you're these guys are your competition. We're competing for spots. Mm -hmm. This is before everybody has, you know, just a downside guarantee and that's all you're gonna make. That's kind of the way the business is now because the pay scale has been inflated. But back then, Man, you want to headline that pay-per-view. You want to be on the top of that card. You make more money. So it's not just about, hey, I want to go on last. It's about, I want to make the most money. And in a weird way, these guys who are your brothers, you're kind of competing with Mm -hmm. them. But as a commissioner, man, all that stress and pressure is gone. The dynamic has to be different, right?
0: It is, because in no way am I competing with anybody for a spot or a payoff. And guys know that even though I like the haha, that when the situation calls for it, I'm going to put over their characters yes. and again I'm not portraying myself as the toughest guy in the room so I'm gonna sell when things get serious I'm going to be afraid of the Undertaker I'm gonna I'm gonna sell for Triple H going to fire up to him every once in a while when the situation calls for it so I think you're right I'm able to be friends with everybody um, I really truly enjoy myself the only downside I touched on a little bit is that I'll say um, as a guy who went through my career like I never felt the pressure more when it came to like being alone and just having everyone around talking about fans. So it was like the rock star life without the rock star trappings. Yes. And I think we covered this in another episode saying in 99 there were about 12 of us, maybe 8 of us given the option of having uh security, and I think everyone who was offered it took it except me. And uh, at a certain point I was like Brother, I could use it because it's just everywhere it's and I think singers go through this where after they the big wave subsides then they're more comfortable with the level of fame which is fine and now I get a lot of people just hey thank you very much free water burger yeah free water burger here and and going back to what the rock said that's really nice I'd forgotten that we had that talk but one talk I remember is that when we saw each other, maybe it was Mania 2015, right around that time era, we had a nice talk about how neither one of us understood that what we were doing was gonna stand the test of time. And be remembered so fondly by people who were struggling and going through a difficult time. So whether that was um, um, a life-challenging illness or whether it was somebody who did not feel like they fit in, uh, the the stuff I did with rock really made people happy. And I think the mankind of that era, the happier mankind made people who did not feel like they fit in, felt like they had a place to fit
1: in. I love this era of your stuff. And eight days after you're back and you have that talk with the rock, you find yourself in the ring with him again, <laughs> quote, the rock had a catchphrase that it consisted of asking a person a question and then cutting them off. <laughs> It doesn't matter what you think, want, say, where, and so on. Personally, I hated the phrase because there was always some yahoo at a personal appearance who would use it and it was really annoying. But on this night, however, The Rock suggested I use his own phrase Oh, he did suggest
0: I was asked about that. He Uh, suggested, how cool is that, right? Right in your
1: book. Rock, congratulations on being a three-time World Wrestling Federation champion in my opinion this has to put you up where up there with the greatest world wrestling federation champions of all time i was wondering if you could tell me what you think about that at the moment the rock got the first syllable out i was there for the cutoff <laughs> hit us with it man
0: it doesn't matter what you think about it and then if memory serves me correctly i did th- two to three laps at a surprising pace for a big guy with bad knees and The Rock sold it like a million bucks. It's just that smile. It was it was great. Great TV. Shaking
1: his head in disbelief. <laughs> the crowd is chanting, Foley, Foley. They're so happy for you. I mean, this really is the epitome of, and I know Vince has said it before. Maybe he was criticized. But this, if this ain't putting smiles on people's faces, uh, I don't know what is. Oh,
0: man. It was. It was a beautiful time. And uh, ironically, it was a time when we were getting the most negative feedback for the content of the show and I just thought our critics were cherry-picking those moments yeah. that were uh, a little contentious and overlooking the fact that it was really a fun show at that time I think you can argue that the stuff she did with Eddie Oh yeah, it's coming which, up next. That's following, oh, yes, was every bit as good and depending on whose opinion it is maybe even better than what she did with DX
1: she became the mamacita to his Latino heat, oh, yeah. and the first time they were on camera together, you just knew, oh, there's something there.
0: Do we have a date for? Uh, do we have a date for when they got together?
1: Yeah, I can find that. Ah. Tell me, tell me what what you liked about Eddie Guerrero and, and China. Well, together.
0: what I liked about it is, I believe I was the commissioner um, when they had that amazing match where Eddie impressed upon me that he needed to be in that ring to look out for her, and then accidentally, uh, in covering her fallen body, picked up the victory.
1: I uh, I know that um... It's it's uh, we'll call it the spring of 2000. OK, uh, so M- March 30th, I think, is when we start to see any flirting so, with. Yes. Yeah. So
0: I'm definitely the G. I'm definitely the commissioner. Right. And what I remember about it, it was the first time I'd seen that Eddie Guerrero. It was like I always call it the light switching moment where just everything changes and in comes this b- ball of amazing Charisma, and he's like, Say, hey, you have to put me in there. You can't leave my mama sit there. And I'm like, Where did this come from?
1: He turned the volume. Uh, I'd never, sure. I hadn't.
0: Eddie, oh, what a wonderful worker, g- kind and gracious human being. Came, battled his demons, you know, came back stronger, better. I think, you know, he was written off, and then he, uh, word was getting around about a couple matches he had overseas with Regal. Regal sticking up for him, he gets a second chance in WWE, makes the absolute most of it, comes alive with this new Eddie Guerrero. The you know the, the character work, the character work, and I remember just being blown away. Like, where did
1: this guy come from? Sort of like when Scott Steiner went from being just part of a tag team partner to the big bad booty daddy. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Wait, where was that promo all these? years? I know. Yeah,
0: yeah. 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 And there are those. Those moments, and just going back to that match, Eddie tell he convinces me he needs to be in that match to look out for her. And like I said, to me, it's one of the most memorable moments in WWE history. He covers Joni to protect her, and then realizes that he has pinned her, and the look on Eddie's face is you. you it's just priceless
1: it's phenomenal
0: it's phenomenal and then he's that's a mamacita you know I did. and if i'm i am I'm, I'm hopefully not offending anyone with my weak uh oh come on voice work we're having fun okay um but the two of them together they were just tremendous and the camera i camera th- loved them camera loved them and i think because joni and, and hunter were a real life couple uh, they didn't get to accentuate all the yes so that look hunter works for a company that i, I in some ways, still work for and all always allegedly.
1: love
0: probably not allegedly work for it. uh but there was something magical about that pairing that may have been even better than the pairing of hunter and china
1: you got three characters here represented, so we're certainly planting a seed. Yeah, yeah. So, talk to me about how this idea is first presented to you, or was it in fact your idea?
0: No, the, the three characters was not my idea because I don't think I would have had the gumption. <laughs> The uh, the phantom balls. I wouldn't have the phantom. The phantom balls, balls. to uh, hashtag to phantom <laughs> balls <laughs> to bring up Get that such an idea. I really don't. So I have to believe it was a cornet. Uh, man, gonna a man is going to create a cornet or Russo. Oh idea. Lord,
1: look what you've done! Accidentally. I'm not
0: sure. So maybe we can have both those gentlemen call in and offer up the truth. Whose idea was it? It wasn't mine, though. It was not mine. I jumped at it. I've been glad, happy to take the credit for supplying a great moment uh, or series of great moments, but it wasn't my
1: idea. Well, I'm going to ask a question as if I'm a grizzled veteran myself. Did you get three paydays, kid? <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: I wasn't even thinking. I wasn't geared that way. Right. At that time, I didn't question anything. It wasn't until probably 98 that I started, you know, middle of 98 that I started questioning you could talk to Jr. about that. I mean, yeah. I was not, I became, got to the point where I was not shy about sticking up for, for what I thought my worth was with the sure. company. Sure. Yeah.
1: Good for you. Yeah. Uh, when you get to the Rumble, we know that we're going to have all three characters. Um, so you're bringing all three sets of gear, but you were probably traveling with all three sets of gear at this point, were you know, Just in case.
0: And at that point, Mankind was not going with sweats and sneakers. He was a tights and yeah. boots guy.
1: So are you carrying two bags here? Likely. Yeah.
0: I've been I've been traveling. The I, I hit 40 states in the United States of America in the last 18 months. So it's been a lot a lot of traveling and some international dates. You know, like Australia, New Zealand. And you're a one bag man. I'm a one bag man. Yes. So I'm a 19 inch carry on man, using the buy and discard method, where you just yes. you bring the there. It, it. just. Boom! It's easier to discard and buy than it is to
1: wash. And in '98, though, here for the Rumble, you're probably, especially on a TV day, you're going to bring all three sets. I got to bring all three. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely.
1: Um, so the idea that you're going to be in three times clearly, they're going to lay out the Rumble and they're going to allow you time to, you know, change and all that jazz. But were you worried about? I mean, I I know this sounds silly considering who I'm talking to. What if something goes wrong and you get hurt on on, on the first one? Conrad.
0: (laughs) I have to believe in my heart that if I was able to function after being thrown off the cell and through the cell, that I would find a way, the will and the guts and the fortitude to carry on in that rumble.
1: I have no doubt, but I just asked to my, I asked myself, self, if you're out there as character number one and tear a damn quad,
0: what? what? No, no, it's mathematical. No quads equals no quad tears.
1: <laughs> okay, so, yeah. Well, so there you, you go. Just do
0: the science.
1: Duh. Every Silly guy me. who's
0: ever been badly injured, good physique. Right. Yeah. Fat doesn't tear, brother. All right. Gelatinous yeah. just bumps uh, and uh, moves on. I really worried about Tommy Dreamer a couple of years ago. Took a bad bump on TV. And, uh, I sent him a text message to make, he was okay, make sure he was okay. And he came back with the fat doesn't tear. Yeah.
1: Oh, I love it. Fat doesn't tear a new t-shirt <laughs> available now. Uh, Austin, of course, wins the rumble. Uh, I guess technically, but who won the heart? Well, that's the thing. Nobody even really thinks about the fact that he won the rumble because when people talk about the 98 rumble, they talk about you yeah. three times. Yeah. Um, I think this is interesting though, because he technically only eliminated 27 men.
0: And I know when it came time, uh, he was trying to eliminate me and you can hear it. We're tied up. It's time kid. I said, I'm Mr.
1: January.
0: So that was the first,
1: <laughs> he had to know what was up. Yeah. I don't do that. That doesn't work for me. I'm like Billy Gunn on a TV television <laughs> loss. Football is back in full swing with another week of epic games. And who's got you covered on the action for every single one of them? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And new customers can bet $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Nobody's missing out on the action this season. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Get in on NFL Week 2 action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use the code FOLEY to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook. With the code FOLEY, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPENY. In Connecticut, help is available for gambling problems by calling 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void and ONT. See slash football terms for eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance, eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Chris Adams, one of those maybe forgotten names to wrestling history. I don't think enough people talk about him enough. Wow. The innovator of the super kick. And
0: he was the first yeah. with the super kick in wrestling, right? Yeah. And I work with Chris. Uh, I, I talked about this in my, my first book is that, um, and we'll get back to Steve, I promise you, but I don't, I think it's safe to say without Chris Adams we don't have a Steve Austin as we know him. Because he didn't just learn to wrestle from Chris, he learned how to do a program. program, And that's really important. So, uh, Bill Watts, this is another little economics wrestling 101 lesson and we talked about it a little bit in the Watts episode. Watts is a success was based on the uh, the oil boom towns that he ran and when the oil business was down in the late 80s uh, before they sold to wcw uh, they thought the best way to stay alive was to expand into the parts of the country where his tv was strong watch his tv but uh, that they had not traditionally hit and that's where they started doing ohio west virginia western pennsylvania And, uh, oh yeah, we talked about that in regards to the Sam Houston story I I told last week. Um, And it was, so the first time, Chris Adams was on the shows with uh, with Terry Taylor. Uh, Shane Douglas and I uh, drove them all around for a week, you know, soaked in every bit of information we possibly could. And so the next time they came back, about two months later, I'm thinking March or April of 1986, uh, or March of April of... No, I think the first time was February, uh, November 86, and they came back in like February 87. I had a match with Adams, uh, 1,500 people in Ohio uh, high school gymnasium. And he just said, you know, we'll call it out there. I'm not gonna do the English accent because I do, don't do one well. And he had a distinctive type of uh, British accent. It's not a one-size-fits-all one for UK accents as far as, and our UK fans know that. And when I was in that ring, Conrad, I just listened to everything he said, and more importantly, listened to the fans. I'd never been a part of an atmosphere like that, where fans were just hankering for Chris to come back. And now these days, a rear chin lock's not going to get the type of reaction it did in 87. But, uh, man, I'd never been a part of something like that. So that when Chris finally hit me with that super kick, it was the biggest response that I'd ever been a part of, largely because he had built me up to be someone so that when he super kicked me, he had beaten someone. So I owe a lot to Chris. Yeah. I really do for taking you know, in a way, kind of taking me under his wing and he continued to do that when I was in world class. and you're right, he is a guy that has largely been forgotten and probably not enough credit is given to him.
1: When we think about the super kick too, it it was really a a special move, a magic move, not only for Chris, but with Shawn Michaels. And then it became kind of commonplace, everybody started to do it. And and I think of it maybe like a DDT, I mean when Jake did it, that was the end. Brother,
0: that's the end. Hey, when I was in world class, uh, P.Y. Chuhai, (laughs) also known as Phil Hickerson, one of the things I love about wrestling is that when Phil Hickerson went, I think he only did one tour of Japan. Phil was this rugged, kind of mountain man-looking yeah, guy, yeah. and he was over because he was a long-time heel and turned babyface. You couldn't deny his, you know, his, uh, his skills, you know, and his, uh, in a weird way, his likability. When he went to Japan and came back as Py Chuhai, it was supposed to get heat because he clearly was supposed to be have a, adapted or adopted uh parts of the Japanese culture.
1: Right.
0: When he came to world class, they tried to put him off like he was a, i remember Mark Learns, yeah. look at this giant Oriental. It's like, he's phil Hickerson with a little makeup on his eye. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless he uh he he has a he had a great run. And I don't know if i talked about this in my book and I know this is about to be supposed to be about Steve uh, and I'll be hard pressed to even tell you where my Phil Hickerson story is supposed to go. Oh, I know what it was. The, 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 the Eric Embry, uh, You Are My Hero, just put it on reserve. We'll talk about it some other time. And how, how I helped, that was the first video that I did for World Class, that I helped video Bob Von Gursky produce. Uh, now that I'm there, I might as well just say, like, neither one of us realized that in the video, which would be seen by hundreds of thousands of people, You can clearly see Eric Embry's blazade (laughs) 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 pirouetting in slow motion (laughs) through the air, and it was an error. He dropped his his gimmick, and I did not catch that even in super slow motion. But Phil Hickerson uh, gave a guy a, um, a DDT, and the guy sold it for the finish but got up quicker than he should have because he had a girl waiting for him out in the parking lot and did not want to look weak and brother the fight that went on backstage you know was was uh, it was uh, it was unsettling and it was because this guy had not sold the DDT properly now the proper way to sell a DDT off the top rope is to be up in it 100 percent you know uh, less than a minute later Right, less than a minute later. So I, I I am straddling that line of the old school that really believes that every move should be properly sold, uh, in the new school which you know necessitates you have to do more to get the consumer interested. But there are a few moves that need to be respected. Pile driver, I would think, is the first one. Uh, and uh, close behind the DDT, you didn't get up from the DDT back in that day, brother. I
1: mean, I, I've always been under the impression if anyone took a liberty in a match <laughs> you were in, it was you against yourself. Probably, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but boy, I can see how you could get frustrated with some of this creative because this is the era as we're getting ready for WrestleMania 13, where we have the association with AAA, which is awesome, yeah, especially yeah. for a show like San Antonio. But now we have a mini Vader and also a mini Mankind. What would you think of uh, the news that, hey, there's going to be a mini Mankind? I liked it. Really? I did like it. Vader and I were on polar opposite sides. I can't imagine he saw the humor.
0: Uh, uh, He did not see the humor at all, especially when he heard his music playing. And he rushed over, and the bunch of us in front of the monitor, he rushes over thinking he has a match, and then he sees the little fellow. (laughs) <laughs>
1: to his music
0: he didn't like it so uh, what
1: if they added a slide whistle to his music <laughs> <Would> that...
0: <laughs> i wrote about this in the in have a nice day 1999 towering new york times number one bestseller that the difference between my mini i understood that having a mini named after you in it's mexico a cool thing. was a really big honor right like yeah. mascarita sagrada was such a, a phenomenal uh, uh, you know um many that people forget he was actually named after a mes- mascara sagrada right so that i understood it was a big deal uh, and i understood when they'd have like a trans wrestler that that was a big deal too like mexico was way ahead of the curve yeah. when it came to respecting trans people i think it's I, it, whether it's just in the re- wrestling world i don't i don't know but you know having a trans wrestler named after you or uh inspired by you been big, around big for a long too. time yeah um so while my guy, I'm, si- I'm sitting and down and I'm saying, okay, that was good. And I've got a translator there. And I'm saying, but you know, you can't just be mankind. You can't just be dressed as mankind. You have to act as mankind. So I'm sitting on the corner, you know, I actually get down and I'm rocking and I'm telling the guy, he doesn't have to actually pull his hair, but pull it. Yeah. And meanwhile, Leon's mini was walking around going attorney, attorney, because that was what Leon was threatening him with. It was, He's telling the little person, "I'm going to sue you." Yeah, basically, Leon wow. wasn't—he uh, wasn't nearly as excited about having a mini named after him as I was. Uh, and and Sagrado was—I think Masperito Sagrado was part of that. You know, uh, it was a short-lived.
1: Uh, Mick, come on, short-lived. Come on, Mick. And, oh, I didn't mean that. I think <laughs> mean,
2: the
0: relationship between WWE and, and AAA
1: was short-lived. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. But still, a many Mankind, that was uh, not something I expected to see. So, Mick, the other thing I want to mention to you about December that really jumps off the page and I love talking about, but you and I have never discussed, these near-riotous situations in Little Rock and Memphis at house shows. Yeah. This is the era where about a year and a half into the NWO, it's become in fashion on the other program to throw trash in the room. Yeah. And so now we've got this new rival group, Uh, On the WWF program, it's not the NWO, but it is DX. And so they're going out here and saying crazy things and doing crazy things and being heels and pissing the crowd off. And now the trash starts coming. Sean allegedly gets hit and says, okay, that's it. You just cost yourself the main event. And it becomes a dangerous situation. It was two nights
0: in a row, and I also think there may have been one in Richmond. Uh, It was right around this time, but there was another one in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, that may have been the dark match for the uh, the big blow-off I had with Terry Funk on Raw before I faced Steve in, um, I know I'm jumping ahead, this is May of, May of 98, so I'm jumping forward several months. But yeah, there were two in a row, Memphis and Little Rock. Yep. So Sean was basically creating the riotous atmosphere and then <laughs> blaming Fans. He, yeah, he was whipping them up into a frenzy and then blaming them for the frenzy. Yes. So it was great heat. It was something we weren't used to seeing, uh, but the, the heat turned, uh, it went from a positive heat to a negative heat because of the near riotous conditions. So, I, I, you know, I went back to, you know, you look at old tapes of Ox Baker fighting his way out of Kansas City. <laughs> In an era when, you know, it was a lot easier to suspend disbelief or just flat-out have the belief, yes. you know. Um, but this was, yeah, these were some perilous conditions, and it showed you Sean could get that amazing heat. But on two consecutive nights, he did yeah, walk out of the main event.
1: And you're actually trying to talk the fans uh sticking around and calming <laughs> down and hoping that they'll come out because you're in the middle of this for one yeah, of these moments. Yeah. Is that the most... Is that one of the most surreal moments of a house it's, show? Yeah, ever?
0: Yeah, yeah. Because you, you know, used to dream about this kind of heat, and now you have it. Not you, I mean, yeah. not me, but talking about the the company. Um, and it wasn't. Uh, I mean, that was a time when sh- there was a time when Sean was difficult. Yes, you know,
1: this is that era. This
0: is that era, and he was absolutely magnificent in the ring, but he was difficult outside it. And it's been a long time since Sean's been difficult. He's been a great asset to the company and the developmental program. But he'll be the first to admit there was a bad Sean and a good Sean, and this was kind of bad Sean.
1: Were you pissed off at him? A little bit, yeah. I mean, that's reasonable. Yeah, a little bit. Did you, I mean, there's reports that it got so bad. I mean, people were trying to throw glass, and there were, I mean, allegedly there were the police involvement and smoke bombs and, Crazy stuff. Yeah. How much of that's true? How much of that's not?
0: It was pretty hectic. I mean, I think it just shows a, that the international oral sex hand signal, you know, can get some heat when you suggest to someone in the audience. They might I mean, enjoy that. Sean was actually like tickling the phantom balls. You know, he he had the he had it down to where he can make people irate. You know, you look at some of the stuff he did. He was just in that zone, right? Yes. The guys. Charisma was just incredible. It was off the page. And that worked wonders when he was a baby face, but it could incite riots when he was a heel.
1: When that's happening, and obviously the fans are pissed off at him.
0: Phantom Balls new t shirt?
1: Well, listen, if you're comfortable with a Phantom Balls t shirt, I am. <laughs> um, Tickle s- the Phantom Balls. <laughs> yes. Tickle the phantom balls, fa-la-la-la-la-la, like I could just tell (laughs) next year during cameo season, we're going to have fun with this. (laughs) Did you feel in danger? Well, I was backstage, Um, but yeah,
0: a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, Um, because if it got to the next level, then we all have to run out there and... Stand by our man. You can tell I've been watching George and Tammy on Showtime. Excellent. Did you sub- finish it yet? Oh, I love it. Loved it. Yeah. It's a good show.
1: Yeah. Before we wrap things up, I want to talk about Max Payne. It feels like, you know, he had an opportunity to uh, have his day in the sun for both Vince and with WCW, yeah. but it didn't really stick. Well, why don't you think he had a longer, more illustrious career? <sighs>
0: uh, they defrocked him. In a way, uh, he was Max Payne. You know, it was a na- it was a name. He was bi- big, in Germany, big in Germany, and uh, he became Man Mountain Rock. Yep. they incorporated the guitar. I don't know for a fact, but I think I think the whole premise, uh, you know, or one of the payoffs of the Double J character is that when we find out that Double J is lip syncing, and it's his mistreated roadie uh brian james who's doing the singing that because brian and max are in a real band i always thought and didn't have it verified that that's the payoff that boom now we get this band and now you'd have to ask road dog he left out of loyalty to jeff when jeff left yeah not talk about when jeff left uh you know um with china with china the the first time Uh, And then Jeff left because when I when I saw road dog left because the next time I saw road dog was when I was doing my uh, getting my feet wet with the Mankind character for two days. (laughs) whoa, sorry about that. In the Memphis territory. But I feel like that was supposed to be the payoff. Is that Road Dogs a singer? Here's the band, and, and Nick Patrick was in the band too. Wow! So this was good. Max was a good songwriter, and as we talked about last week, Steve Miller referred to it as the album that Pink Floyd should have made but never did. Uh, and Max was deep. He uh, he was he was pretty down on the wrestling business, you know. I've seen right through your eyes and your filthy effing lies was one of the lines. Wow. And I believe that was written about WCW management. Uh, but for whatever reason, it, it never came to pass. Um, Max I believe produces music in Utah. Haven't seen him in a long time. It's cool that he's uh, he's come in for a couple of uh, remote um uh, these, these signings, uh, yeah. virtual signings that popped up during COVID, which, you know, was really a case of wrestling adapting yes. and doing a great job. And so I, I, remember, um, Ashley Massaro's daughter came in and was helping me with my first virtual signing. And she was such a great help. Uh, and that I've now I'm signing a few things here and there, Cactus Jack and Max Payne. That's but what cool. a great guy! Great, I loved riding with him, and I and I didn't like. Max was a smoker, uh, so when you rode in Miss Christine, you know, and fully uh, whatever it was, a you know, two twenty-five, whatever it was, Buick two twenty-five, but this thing was decked out with the greatest stereo system I'd ever heard, and to this day have ever heard in a car. And I just li- I liked being around Max and Nick. Nick rode with Max too. They were good guys, man. They were both, both good guys. And they were my introduction to Tori Amos as well. So that's another story for wow. another day, maybe. And how her music inspired me in the oddest and uh, most, most touching of ways. But uh, yeah, it was inside that car on a trip way in, you know, the southern part of the United States after they'd been bombarding me with everything from, you know, Metallica was like the light music, you know. Megadeth Guar, and I finally, Max, do you have anything a little bit lighter? You know, Jack. Sounds kind of like Taker. He had that real deep voice. I think I have something to like. And then as soon as I heard the opening chords to uh, the first song on Little Earthquakes, which I should know, uh, man, I was, I was hooked, you know? People sometimes question that taste, but you can't describe what it is that touches somebody's heart, Yeah, you know, and whether it's the voice or the lyrics or whatever, man, yeah, that was a pretty heavy duty thing for me.
1: Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend you check out miracle made sheets. They were inspired by NASA and miracle made uses silver infused fabrics that make temperature regulating bedding. You can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Not only that, it's also cleaner. Did you know that traditional bed sheets can contain more bacteria than a toilet seat, that's what leads to some of that acne, those allergies, those stuffy noses dude it's just gross, but miracle made has a whole line of self-cleaning eco-friendly bedding your sheets, your pillowcases, your comforters, and they prevent 99% of the bacteria and they require three times less laundry. How do you beat that? I've got Miracle Made, my wife absolutely loves, we don't have to wash them as often. She feels like she has less stuffy noses. I feel like I've got less of those bumpies on my back and dude, I'm sleeping better, I'm cooler, I love it. See, they've got these self-cooling properties that bring you better sleep. We've always known that, I guess. I used to crank the fan up Kick my foot out from under the covers, but these fabrics, man, they're inspired by NASA. They're thermoregulating. They're gonna keep you that perfect temperature all night long, so you get better sleep every night. They're also self-cleaning, man. They're infused with silver that's gonna prevent up to 99.7% of the bacterial growth. Gonna leave you fresher and cleaner longer than all the other sheets. It's also very luxurious. It's high quality. Seriously, I prefer these sheets to the sheets that you would see in like a five-star hotel. These sheets are better, in my opinion. By the way, stop sleeping on bacteria. It's freaking gross. It can clog your pores. It causes you breakouts and acne. Why not sleep clean with Miracle? Go right now to trymiracle.com/foley. That's trymiracle.com/foley to try these Miracle-made sheets today. And whether you're buying one for yourself or as a gift for your loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo code FOLEY at checkout you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. By the way, Miracle is so confident in their product. It's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com Foley and use the code Foley to claim your free three piece towel set and save over 40%. Again, that's trymiracle.com Foley to treat yourself. And we thank you Miracle Made for sponsoring today's episode. All right. So by now, you know that I love saving money, but what you might not know is my favorite thing is saving money. I didn't know I was spending. I call that found money here in Alabama. And that's why I love using rocket money, formerly known as true bill. Hey, are you wasting money on subscriptions? 80% of people have subscriptions. They forgot about maybe for you. It's an unused Amazon prime account or a Hulu account that never gets streamed. And there's this great app I use that helps me track all of my expenses. And because of it, I no longer waste money on subscriptions. I don't even use, you might've heard of it. It's called rocket money, formerly known as true bill. And I know what you're thinking, man, I think I only spend like $80 a month. Did you know that it's actually probably closer to $200 or more? You see, the app shows you all your subscriptions in just one place, and then it cancels for you, whatever you don't still want. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't even know you were paying for. You may even find out you've been double charged for a subscription. To cancel a subscription, all you got to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. So get rid of those useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com/foley. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com/foley. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash foley so you wrote in your book uh jr's new call informed me that this might be the right job and that vince mcmahon had a new idea and that he would like to set up a meeting this was a top spot he informed me and would hopefully lead to a successful series of matches with the undertaker i had one question before i agreed to a meeting jim you don't tell everyone who comes in that they're being groomed for a top spot, do you? I mean, what did you tell Aldo Montoya when he came in? Jim thought about it and came back with an answer. No, we don't, Cactus. If we say it's a top spot, we mean it. In Aldo's case, we probably told him it was a good spot, but not a great spot, but there would be room for advancement if the character caught on. All right, I said, let's set up a meeting. Does that sound right?
0: Yeah, it sounds exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, that's uh, that's right on the money.
1: So, it doesn't seem like I can really see Vince or Jr. saying, "Okay, we're really excited about this idea," or Vince is really excited about this idea. But why don't you and Mikey Whipwreck and Tommy Dreamer and Raven go finish your story? <laughs> that doesn't seem like something that's very Vince like. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Uh, I remember, I, I, I'm, I'm traveling all
0: I'm going to Japan 10 days out of the month. I'm still working indies. I love the stuff we're doing in ECW. Um, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes, uh, but I, maybe there was a relationship with Paul that was uh, the, the fuller and deeper than I, I thought. But whatever the case, they allowed me to finish out my run to the point where, when I did the final match with Mikey Riprech, and I got the incredible response that I wasn't expecting. Because I did two, two matches, uh, my two final matches were at the Lost Battalion Hall against Chris Jericho, where I suffered the first of a long streak of losses. You know, didn't redeem myself until I uh, got the pinfall at my Hall of Fame induction ceremony, which I'm counting as a victory. Uh, But what I remember most about that night was that the Cactus Jack shirt was fairly new, right? It came out in late 95. Yeah. So I got my t-shirt guy, Bruce Savini. Um, He brings the shirts and we're told that the hall wants 50% of the money up up top, no accounting for what you've got in the shirt. So say shirts were selling for 20 at that time. I would get 10 and I'd have $7 in the shirt, so I'd get $3. That's just not right. So. I had Bruce, I said, why don't you walk the line? You know, the long line of people waiting to get in. Bruce comes back. He he hasn't sold a single shirt. But he's got about five or six loogies hanging off him where people have actually spit on him. Oh, wow. Because he's my t-shirt guy. And Bruce says, they hate you here. So I came out as a pure 100% heel at the Lost Battalion Hall in Queens. And Jericho and I we had a good match and I was happy It his first match in ECW happy to put him over because I was you know One of the guys going to bat for Chris with ECW to begin with um, But I remember thinking to myself and you know, maybe I was marking out a little bit But I think we all do and I thought man, it would be nice to get a little kinder response from the ECW fans and uh, when I went out there it was just I wasn't prepared for that type of favorable response. Everybody on their feet chanting "Cactus Jack." It was just it was just an incredible response, and it was in front of the you know 900 to 950 people they have there. It wasn't a 20,000 seater, but that building came alive, and they gave me that incredible send off. And I then I cut my promos. So I mean I, I imagine the current Mick Foley would say, "Listen, all right, here's the deal." I do the match (laughs) get me in first for promos i'm going back to the hotel but the cactus jack at that time was glad to wait four or five hours to cut promos and then i went directly from the i'd like to think i snuck in a shower but that's not necessarily the case i went to corpus christi and uh with no sleep whatsoever and i had kind of a not a tryout match because i was already in but a dark match with Aldo Montoya. So although I debuted officially for WWE the day after Raw, the day after Mania 1996, I was actually there a couple weeks couple days earlier. Uh hadn't figured out we weren't doing the thing with the hair pulling yet, you know, it was still uh, definitely a work in progress. And the character was definitely a work in progress until
1: uh,
0: you know, until I hung out. um
1: <laughs> You said sometimes when you threw it on, you would make noises. I remember the noises. Can you give us one of those? I can't anymore. You can't do the three. I can't
0: do the squ- You know, it turned, you make that noise by the rapid vibration, uh, and, you, and it, it burns your vocal cords. It, so I can't do it. My daughter was watching For All Mankind, and she was like, that, that's really scary. I was like, that's, that was the point. And where I got that was just putting my own tilt on Terry Funk, who to me was there will never be a heel as menacing as Terry Funk facing Jerry Lawler at the Mid-South Coliseum because Terry made it easier than anyone I've ever seen to suspend disbelief. I believe even his opponent suspended disbelief because they didn't know whether it was real or not. And based on the velocity of his punches, it felt damn real when you're in there. And it's just this moment, and maybe we can get this moment where he goes to work with those punches in the corner, those big left hands and rights as well. And then he turns around and he's got his fists up like this, and he's in another world and he's screaming out the word, pig, pig. That was his high pitched wheel. So I didn't say pig, but I used the high pitch. I can't do it. I mean, I burned the vocal cords out. I, that was me giving to my art the sake of my art, Uh, but that was me borrowing from the great Terry Funk.
1: It was fantastic, one of the most iconic.
0: If you have a chance to watch Lawler versus Funk, Mid-South Coliseum. Not the empty arena. Not the empty arena, but this one, he turns around. I don't care who you are. You mean like, it's real. Still real to
1: him, damn it. We'll we'll try to get- It's reported in the torts that the original plan for WrestleMania Of course, besides your idea that you pitched, which we've talked about before, was a barbed wire match. Uh, Wade would write, The WWF wanted to put Chainsaw Charlie and Cactus against the Outlaws in a barbed wire match, but viewers' choice balked. The WWF took heat for trying to slip by the use of barbed wire at the No Way Out pay-per-view, and the WWF claimed it was an impromptu move by the wrestlers. It was. But considering that they were even considering a WrestleMania Barbed wire match. Their claim has been met with some skepticism. Well, let me just add to that. Impromptu, as in...
0: Day of, maybe? Day of, I mentioned it to Savio because Savio had worked with barbed wire in uh, Puerto Rico, and I thought he'd be the good guy to do it. So it was a Savio-Foley agreement, and I don't think we asked any permission to do it. Steve was kind of hot at me. Really? Yeah, yeah, he was.
1: Well, of course, uh, I could see how, you know, things were different back then. You know, viewer's choice. Uh, I mean, it's a different era. and it's, it's crazy that we say this because not too long ago, AEW had a Texas death match between Eggman Adam Page and John Moxley. They used barbed wire. Did you have a chance to see that match? I did not. Uh, I think maybe one day. Maybe we'll do this as a bonus on ad-free shows next month. I would love to have you watch that and, and, and just do a live uh, sort of director's cut and just tell us what you're thinking as you watch it because they really push the pace of violence to where a lot of people online were saying they went too far and you know uh, if you've if you've seen some quote-unquote death match wrestling i don't think you could argue they went too far but if what you're used to watching is quote-unquote television wrestling uh, i could see that argument yeah uh so i'd be curious to get your take on that okay. but do you remember hearing about viewers' choice sort of mixing? No, idea? that's new to me.
0: That's new to me. And that would explain why we didn't get the match we wanted. Um,
1: of course, the, originally, you, know, you were pitching a totally different concept, maybe uh, similar to what they had done with Goldust and Roddy Piper at the Double Cross Ranch with you and the Funker. Now it's going to be the tag match. It's interesting to think, though, Maybe that idea evolved from you guys having a hardcore deathmatch match to, well, maybe we'll just use the barbed wire for them. And it's almost even more curious, like, had you not used the barbed wire at No Way Out, could you have, at this show, something to think about? So Raw the week after is taped from Germany, and you're going to lose to Sid. And this is the infamous Raw that would lead to Vince freaking out about production, and apparently it leads to Vince Russo having a bigger hand in creative Do you remember Vince not being happy with the look of the show?
0: I don't. I don't. I'd heard that afterwards. I do know that uh, when I worked with Sid, the next day we're getting ready to board a plane, whether it's within Germany or going home, I don't remember. And Steve Austin goes, Hell, kid, great match with Sid last night. And I, hey, thanks, Steve. And then he jumped all over me. And it was the first time I remember Steve, (laughs) when I say browbeating me, in a fun way letting me know that he thought it was a stinker by you know cactus Jack or mankind standards uh, you know with a big guy like Sid I thought I thought it was okay I thought it, I mean uh, okay enough to the point where uh, it didn't didn't strike me as a rib when Steve told me it was a great match I didn't think it was a great match but I thought it was You think it was terrible yeah then he jumped all over me and that's why I was hesitant to embrace his fondness for the uh, the Yurple. Uh, Mr. Sacco debut. What if he's
1: just messing with you?
0: I thought he was messing with me because I was ready for him because of that February 1997 reaction.
1: So you reach out to Vince um, once you're back home and and you're coming off of a vacation and and you're saying, hey, uh, my back's in terrible shape and you're going to ask for some time off. And that feels like maybe the last thing a wrestler ever wants to do because there's always this concern of you know obviously in this era if you're not working you're not going to get paid or certainly not as much but also what if i lose my spot brother um do you have to work yourself up to that call or is it just at this point it's inevitable it's unavoidable let's just get it over with band-aid technique it's just so ah, man
0: i don't want to use agonizing as hyperbole. So hopefully I've built up enough stock when I say agonizing. We believe it when you say it. Agonizing. Um, I didn't care about my, you know, I didn't care about anything but just relieving some of that pain. I do remember that little vacation, like a three-day Valentine's Day vacation to uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, And I do know I went that three or four days without eating any chocolate. So that shows you I was, pretty serious about trying to keep my weight down at the time. Come back and I remember asking Vince and he like, you can hear him thumbing through papers. He goes, oh, it looked like we have uh, one day off right here. And I go, one day? And then I hear him, oh! <laughs> and he tells me he's gonna try to arrange for you know, a handful of days off. You
1: took a week off. Yeah. And then you're back working with Goldust. Uh, you're gonna put Goldust over at all the house shows. Yeah. Um, Which I'm good with.
0: Yeah. They're house shows. I believe, you know, you send people home from the house shows happy. I have no issue because Goldust was a great character. Yeah. And at that time- he's A lot kind, of stock there he's too. Interni- he's becoming babyface. face yep. at that time. Uh, so Goldust was a great character. I have no qualms about putting Goldust over. We'd been partners largely non-televised in house shows. But we've got chemistry, the characters work well together. Uh, I have no issue with that.
1: Guys, by now you've heard about Blue Chew on our program for a long time. Mick and I are big believers in Blue Chew and we want you to try it. Sincerely, this isn't just for guys who have a problem. This is for guys who are trying to leave a lasting impression for guys who want to enhance their experience. Think about it as PEDs for your PENIS. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredient as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime y'all, day or night. So plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And the process is simple guys, It's three steps. Number one, you sign up at bluechew.com. Number two, you'll consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, number three, you'll receive your prescription in just a few days. Blue Chew's tablets are made here in the USA. They're prepared to ship directly to your door. And by the way, it's in a discreet package, so don't worry about the mailman knowing your business, okay? The best part, it's all done online. That means you get to skip the awkward conversations. You don't even have to go to the doctor's office. There's no waiting in line at the pharmacy. It doesn't get any easier than this. And I've never recommended Blue Chew to someone, and they came back and said, oh, it didn't work. Everybody's like, hey, man, uh, thanks for the pro tip. So if you can benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, chew it and do it, y'all. Let's have some better sex, shall we? Well, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free and use our promo code FOLEY at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is FOLEY to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. We thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. So here we are. We're at the... Uh... match. It's hard for Connecticut. Uh, you wrote that you felt an immense amount of pressure yeah. and uh, you were writing the have a nice day bonus chapter. Yeah. And there was some heat and issues with Vince. And, uh, then you've got, you know, to go out here and put on your, your swan song, if you will. Uh, you go 23 minutes and 59 seconds. Uh, Meltzer really, really liked the match. He gave it four and a half stars. He says, uh, in the observer here, it should be mentioned right up and right up front that Jim Ross did an amazing job getting over the drama of this match. It should also be mentioned that the cameras did zoom in on 12 fans holding up lettering of Foley will die. I'm not sure which was sadder, the 12 fans who thought it was cool to hold up, or the director who thought it was cool to show those fans. Foley seemingly gave everything he had, and more than made up for the fact that he can't physically do that much. He got his knees whipped hard into the steps, had the steps thrown at his head, and then Triple H pounded on the steps with a chair. Foley used the chair for a low blow and a double arm DDT on the chair and a leg sweep on the chairs for near falls. And then Triple H used a drop toe hold on the chair. He smashed Foley's head into the cage many times. However, Triple H bladed first after being catapulted into the cage. Foley grinded Triple H's head on the cage and hip tossed him into the cage. He came off the middle rope with a chair, taking a hard bump on his hip to the floor. It should be mentioned they had about a dozen padlocks on the cage to theoretically prevent them from escaping and going to the top. Finally, the gimmick section of the side of the cage was opened, and Foley shoulder-blocked himself through it and then bladed his arm big time and threw Triple H out.
0: Ah, I'm still not comfortable with that term.
1: He piledrove Triple H on a table that didn't break. Foley tried to climb the cage, but Stephanie McMahon pulled him down. Foley grabbed a barbed wire board he had stashed at ringside, and Triple H ran away, but Foley hit him with it. Triple H is climbing the cage at this point to escape. Foley climbs the cage, but Triple H got the barbed wire board and hit him with it. Foley took the big bump through the Spanish announce table and did the word you don't like. Uh, Fully kept trying <laughs> to throw a chair to the top of the cage. But wasn't I wouldn't like... make it. I did
0: make it up there like six times in a row before the show ever started. So I was like, okay, I'm six for six. That's gonna be no problem. But I was just worn out. And I remember I got that chair and it's like clanging right off near the top. And I also now, I also understand there are fans there, so if I throw this thing with a ba- bounce, out. Yeah, it bounces out. Or if I just throw it up and it drifts, drifts right. You know, I'm gonna have. Uh, I could injure somebody, so I'm trying to get it up there. It's, it's not. It's like we need. I felt like we needed that chair up there for whatever reason. Although we use the barbed wire uh, uh, two by four. Uh, the reason we didn't use the barbed wire bat is because Sting was using a bat, so Vince didn't want to seem like we were copying Sting. I you know, I could say, Hey, we could go back to the drug," you know, just say, Hey, Foley's got that barbed wire bat in '95. You know, even Negan, even Negan, when he wrote a birthday wish to me, uh, Negan from Walking Dead said, I may have borrowed a move or two, from <laughs> uh, but that's the reason it was the board. Uh, but I, yeah, I couldn't make it up to the top. Go ahead.
1: Anyway, he says whatever spots were planned up there with it must have been next, and, and the camera pulled away from the action probably due to the fear he was really hurt since he couldn't throw the chairs. He climbed the cage and they fought with the barbed wire board and took bumps on the reinforced parts of the cage, including a suplex and a DDT and then Foley set the board on fire, but the fire was never part of the match other than the visual. He then took a backdrop onto the gimmicks part of the cage and Foley went through taking the bump perfectly. As the match went on, while everyone was looking at them on top of the cage, they had workers underneath, gimmicking the section of the ring under the cage, removing the boards so he could essentially fall on a mattress-like surface and not be injured. Nevertheless, any bad angle from that height, even on a mattress, could have been scary. Foley sold the huge fall, got hit with the pedigree and was pinned. The stretcher came out, and as per his interview, he got up and left on his own power with tears in his eyes. Four and a half stars. Pretty awesome
0: match. Yeah, it was powerful storytelling, and uh, you know you can find probably uh, a couple matches every month that technically are going to be better. You're going to find a five, but man, to tell that story, the emotional it's, it's investment—it's about, about images. It's about creating moments. It's difficult these days to create moments, because the bars set really high for televised matches. We expect sure. matches to be really good to great. And even when they're really the great, fans will hate a show in general, because it's, uh, you know, the pushes are... Uh, politics. The politics, yeah. I mean, so anyway, it's a uh, fan's are right to not enjoy a show, even if it's got some great wrestling in it. Point being, it takes more than great wrestling to make a great show. It does. And it takes more than a great match to make a great moment. Uh, and that's I realized early on, uh, man. I don't I don't have the physical capability of having you know the Ric Flair Ricky Steamboat type of match, you know. But I remembered the moments, the Snuka Morocco, mm-hmm. and that was an eight minute cage match, which even by the standards of the time wasn't a great cage match until Snuka went up to the top. And that was on. Un- and un- then it became one of the great iconic moments, but it was an iconic moment because the story leading up to it had been so good too. And the rivalry was there, and Snuka had come off the top of the the the, the cage against Backland just a couple of years before that. And so the buzz was in that arena at Madison Square Garden that it might happen again. And so when Snuka, just glancing up uh skyward top of that cage was enough for that building to come unglued so that was a moment and going back i think triple h and i you know we we gave people a moment even with the match i thought being a great match it was more than just a great match it was a great it was a great story and the culmination of a great story and a great moment
1: were you feeling like despite all that you had done with the company at this point and just to add context this is Uh, pre hell in a cell that man it's i'm still not i haven't made it yet i haven't arrived i haven't achieved you haven't been the world champ yet but there's still that carrot are you chasing the carrot at this point or do you starting to feel a little disillusioned with it i'm starting to feel
0: like uh and this was one of the things i talked about five years ago with the uh 20 years of hell tour, like maybe I'd been through so many incarnations in such a short time that I was becoming stagnant. Uh, And then this leads uh, into the month after my two matches with Austin is hell in a cell, where now I'm back to being mankind. So for those keeping score at home, I come in as dark mankind. Mm -hmm. I become dude love. And then Cactus Jack, then all three characters simultaneously. Then I become corporate mankind. Then I become babyface mankind. Then I become, it was, then I become Cactus Jack. Then I become corporate dude love. By the time I go back to now showing up as mankind with the button down shirt, I felt like fans had lost interest. But by virtue of having Vince on my side during the two dude love matches and and being with Steve, because you're sure gonna get a phenomenal reaction anyway with Steve. Any character at that point is going to get a great reaction and be a more overheel than they ever thought they could be, just by virtue of how popular Steve Austin was. But when I'm when I'm on when I'm uh on the mat and I hear those things, I go back to the conversation I had with uh, Owen Hart, where we showed up for the early block of the uh, of uh, an autograph session, and we see 400 people chomping at the bit, not realizing that 380 of them are there to see Steve Austin for right. the second block. And that's where Owen and I have about an hour and a half to just talk and compare ourselves to the Parsley? Baked, the baked potato, the parsley, and then the sprig. Yeah, the sprig of parsley. And then Owen goes, Yes, Jack, that's exactly what we are. That's the way I felt when I was laying down there. I wasn't even a baked potato, I was a sprig of parsley.
1: When you're talking about, uh, at this point, I felt stagnant. Well, you said I was stagnant. I'm wondering, do you mean, as far as in the fans' eyes, you felt like you were sort of stale? Or just you personally, you felt like I don't feel any momentum for myself. There's less motivation for me. Like I'm not as invested. Do you mean you were stagnant for the fans or just. You I think like... I was stagnant for the fans. Okay. And I think there was a
0: little part of me that realized this is not the case. Is... <sighs>
1: it's mixed emotions probably because you're te- you're teaming with your wrestling yeah. hero. But he's Chainsaw Charlie. But it's, at the same time, it's not. The version of your hero or the version of you you want to be. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I do get the chance to have the the big false count anywhere match, anything goes, with Terry. And I think we did a nice job of explaining to Jim uh, Ross, like, you know, I even said, like, this is not who I am. Like, do you want to be remembered as the guy who wore the toga at WrestleMania? I can't remember, was that four or five? And he goes, that's a good point and Terry and I just wanted that opportunity to wrestle each other the way we love to wrestle and that's where we came up with the idea you know the dumpster had been brought forth by yeah. uh, by by Road Dog but we're going to use it in the match Terry comes out with the garbage can full of goodies how do you one up somebody who's got a garbage can you come out with the whole dumpster yes and then I've got issues with how I handled that, how the whole thing was handled, and we've talked about it before. Yeah. You know, that, that whole scene and whether it was overplayed or not, yes. and I, we both thought Sonny did an outstanding job. Yes. I guess, you know, Wade from The Torch thought it was overblown, right. uh, but I thought it was an outstanding
1: job. The I just Spirit thought- The 76 return at the
0: end was a little- Was a little sad. ridiculous, and yeah. all, you know, and unnecessary. And I don't think the bump was devastating enough to merit the attention it got, but nobody knew because nobody would ever seen a dumpster rolled no. on stage.
1: We didn't have a frame of reference. But <laughs> I, I'm going to take credit for one thing in mixed career. I
0: taught him how to work through the break. <laughs> he said, "Why are we doing it? We're not, we're not, you tell the story it's better than me." What's the story? What working through the break? Oh yeah, yeah working through the break. Jeez. <laughs> you know, it's, he, he goes, "What are you doing?" <laughs> working so, with you. Yeah, uh, Rick and I have a match. Final match, as far as I'm concerned, of my career, October 2010. I did come back and I was part of the Rumble in 2012. Uh, it was sick. 2016. Uh, I don't count it as a match if you're on the no-touch list and your opponents are not allowed to touch you. That's not a match. So Rick and I have that match. He throws me off the, uh, the ramp and through no fault of his own, I overshoot it a little bit and I land really hard. It rattled my brain to the point where I could not get out of bed to go to my book signing the next day. And I, you know, I take the most pride in getting out there and doing the things I'm booked for. I said, I can't move. I cannot. I cannot physically get out of bed. So I take this big bump, and we go to break. And at least in my head, I'm like, oh, I can rest. And all of a sudden, I feel boom, boom. Rick, what are you doing? Because We always work through the break, you know. <laughs> Oh, this is where you grab a rear chin, like, not today, brother, not today. And it was a hell of a match. It was a hell of a match. If you go back and watch it, I remember it was getting a lot of accolades, and I thought, well, you know, it, it, it basic brawl, but here's the deal every single thing we did look good and was delivered with great you know great or bad intentions depending on how you look at it and man i don't know if i've ever talked about it Rick. but even an average mask could be good if you got a blade <laughs> sure about that. Uh, but this was, this was i can't blade. work without one <laughs> but it was really good and i felt and still feel really fortunate that you were the guy in there with that last match. thank you thank you
1: that all leads to the six-man Hell in a Cell at Armageddon 2000 in Birmingham, Alabama. It feels like by this point you're starting to lose your enthusiasm for the gimmick. Do you have some issues going on? Because it does feel like you're written off TV. As you're announcing the six-man, Vince attempts to overrule you. What month was this? This would have been building towards December of 2000.
0: Yeah, because it was known that I'd be leaving in the beginning of December, middle of December, and I'd be out for... A good period of time, like four months. Um, so I did want to be home. Again, like I said at the onset, one of my regrets is that I wish I'd appreciated it more, realized it was not an opportunity that comes around every day, and that I really was on a roll. I think if I had stayed there and ridden it out, I could have been that guy for a number of years, and that it would have been a really good way, you know, to gracefully age in the business, and, uh, and have left a bigger mark than I did.
1: But it wasn't about you losing passion for it or being tired of being on the road. It was more about, I want to spend more time with my kids. Yeah, so I,
0: I want more. to be there for this little fellow, Mickey. Uh, and I don't regret a second of that, you know. Yeah. Uh, I was home a lot. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, I don't regret that and uh, the the storyline explanation to write you off is that Vince is trying to overrule you but for some reason he can't this is a little silly and he says if anyone gets hurt at this show you'll have to resign on Raw the night after the show and of course at Armageddon Vince McMahon would drive down to the ring with a truck to attempt to dismantle the cell you come out too. you send Vince backstage the truck becomes a landing pad of sorts for a chokeslam off the top of the cell uh, The Undertaker Throwing Rikishi off into a big bed of sawdust. After we've seen you fly off the cage, it feels a little
0: silly. Well, at the same time, it was almost like you needed... Something. Something. Yeah. Because, I, uh, you know, Triple H and I just had that hellacious match uh, eight, nine months earlier. Um, I think one of the things I did not write about was that we did a really good job of making it seem like I was being batted around emotionally and was really torn. I remember China, I think China got hurt, and Billy Gunn getting in my face and this is all your fault. And I think Meltzer praised it as saying, Foley can act because we see these, uh, the variety of emotions. And so I thought we were telling a good story where we're taking uh, Commissioner Foley out of his happy place and making me, you know, putting me in a situation where I have to make decisions that I'm not comfortable making.
1: Uh, The night after, we see uh, a 21-minute segment to close the show. McMahon's going to call you out uh, with a resignation paper, ask you to sign. You're going to tease signing it. He's going to bring up your kids and that you got a newborn on the way. You're trying to decide if you should. Foley comes out and says the talent also wants you to sign and Austin's not happy with the job you're doing and he doesn't want you to sign, so of course, or he wants you to sign, so of course Austin comes out and uh, Austin tells Foley not to sign and before it's over, he gives a stoner to Regal, Patterson and Briscoe. Foley puts the Socko on uh, Mr. McMahon, tears up the resignation papers, throws them at Vince and the following week, it's supposed to be Kurt Angle versus Vince with you as the referee, but it never takes place. Do you remember what happened here? Vince gets uh, him to take you down uh, before they Vince gets the takedown on him before the the turn happens on Foley. Meltzer would say it had to happen. Vince got to pin the guy who never gets pinned, Triple H, for the title. He got to beat the UFC king in an octagon, Shamrock, and he got to take down a real world champion wrestler. Angle and Vince turned on Foley, did a number on him. Foley made a comeback on both, put the Socko on Vince, and then Angle stops him with a chair shot. Edge and Christian come out do the sandwich chair shot on you, the concerto. Uh, Stephanie comes out, sides with Vince, saying the board of directors has now given total power that Linda was unfit to be CEO. Vince then fired Foley, who was all bloody. Angle hits him with one last chair shot, and you're officially written off. But on the way out, man... What do you think? You get Pretty good it. way. Uh,
0: the only thing uh, in that angle is that I was the one who pushed for Edge and Christian to come out. Right. With the idea being that the crowd wouldn't know which way they were turning. Right. And Vince did say to me, for the record, I don't agree with you, but I'm going to let it play out. And it did not get the reaction I hoped it would. I think if Edge and Christian had run out instead of walking out slowly, it might have been different because we didn't want the crowd thinking, in retrospect, I wonder if they're gonna save Mick. I think they should have been thinking they're here to save Mick, and would register in their mind. Okay, I know they're bad guys, but they've always got around. It was kind of like a foghorn, Leghorn, yes, (laughs) whatever the dog was, and that they would be at each other, loggerheads throughout the day, and then they would punch out and they'd be friends again. So I love that about the Edge Christian Foley dynamic, but it didn't work right it did not work and that was the only thing and plus i didn't get as much uh, blood as i would have liked to have um but all in all i thought it was a, a send off with authority i thought it was a really good send off and uh we all thought i'd be back it turns out you know i w- i was occasionally for a cup of coffee but that role was pretty much done once uh, once i left that building
1: You've heard Mick talk about it for years, a G one Mick and I absolutely love a G one. We start each and every day with a simple scoop. That's it. That's all we need one single scoop and a cup of water and buddy, we're getting 75 different high quality ingredients. It's going to hook you up and give you all the key daily nutrients. And it's going to go ahead and support everything you need, your energy, your focus, your strength, your clarity. This is just a, a no brainer to me. Think of it as like your Foundational nutrition product. You know, listen, we all get busy and we wind up, well, I didn't want to do this for lunch, but I don't feel like I have an option, or, well, I know I need to. Dude, this is easy. Just one scoop every single day. You're making sure you're taking care of your most valuable asset. You, you cover all your bases. You're looking for better gut health. You want to boost in energy. You want to support that immune system. Maybe you hate taking pills or vitamins. Maybe you just want a supplement that tastes good. I drink mine every single morning. My wife does hers before she even does her coffee. It makes her feel unstoppable on her way to the gym. And I think it gives me more focus at work. I feel like I'm more productive and I don't have that crash in the afternoon. I feel like I'm more productive all day long. We started this back even before the pandemic started. My wife did, but when the pandemic started, man, she had me start doing it. We've done it every day since we are huge fans. I think you will be too. Even our daughters are into it now. Morgan's actually taking some down to Tuscaloosa with her. With every single serving, you're setting yourself up for success. I just can't recommend it enough. By the way, you don't have to take our word for this. Just go look up their reviews. These cats have thousands of five-star reviews. It's the real deal. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go right now to drinkag1.com Foley. That's drinkag1.com slash Foley. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. Uh, the main event mafia, of course, is the top heel stable in the company. Uh, what'd you think of that group? Sting, Angle, Booker, Scott Steiner, Kevin Nash. Main event mafia, what'd you think?
0: I was so frustrated because we had more more key names in that company than WWE had at that time yes and I remember even when I had my first talk with Vince uh, in a year and a half and uh, he I left him he left me a message I know you don't like me but I know you love this company he was wondering if I might be able to do a couple interviews on the company's behalf and uh, I called him up and I said, I like you. And during the course of that long conversation, I told him, I said, Vince, I said, you are you guys are the jello of flavored gelatins. Yes. To the point where most people don't even realize another yeah. flavored gelatin. Knox, excellent flavored gelatin, but nobody says, Hey, you got some Knox? It's it's jello, right? Yes. Um they were doing their elimination chamber and there were some really Pretty minor names in the chamber, meaning at that time, to 2009, to th- that they were really low on big names. And TNA was not. TNA was not. So in the main event mafia, we've got bigger stars than they have in there. This is my opinion. Yeah, no, but I no think doubt. a lot. Of, I think it's open to you know uh, opinions. I think when you've got in the same ring, Sting, <laughs> Steiner, Kevin. Booker, Kurt Angle. That's crazy. That's crazy, right? It's crazy. I remember the first time I did a promo, my mouth was so dry because I was nervous, you know? I really thought this was like a make or break situation. And in the end, it didn't turn out to be either or. It didn't make or break anyone. It wasn't as good as I hoped it would be. It certainly wasn't a stinker, but it wasn't the landmark promo I hoped to deliver. Uh, But it was frustrating to see this amazing group, this group of great talent uh, that most people didn't even know was on the television.
1: It's also reported in the Observer that Kevin Sullivan and Evad Sullivan, that's Dave backwards, uh, will be managed by Sherry in their upcoming feud against the Nasty Boys for the WCW tag team titles and when things are so planned in advance and shows are taped in Orlando oftentimes, you know, three months in advance. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty obvious pretty quickly what the company has in mind for you. Even if it, they don't necessarily sit you down and say, here's what we're doing, when you get those Orlando tapings, you know, okay, so this is kind of the idea, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you remember about those Marathon Orlando tapings in that era? Because there's good and bad reports I've heard from those.
0: On one hand, it was, it was great that we were at... Uh... Disney MGM, they used to call it. Now it's Disney's Hollywood Studios. Uh, But my kids were so little at that time that we would actually go to Cocoa Beach and get a place on the beach, and then I would commute back and forth. There were some good times. uh, um, I believe it was the Marriott Residence Inn where the the men and women would stay. There were some good times. They would have a, a party outside. I remember Dewey being about uh, just old enough to to, to uh, walk, and he was in a little gown, and he was swaying to the music, and my wife to this day remembers Leon White just gazing at him, you know, like like this, here's this r- rugged guy, the stiffest guy, you know, stiffest, hardest hitting guy in this business, and he's just so enamored with, you know, this little, you know, in a po- I'm talking enamored in a positive way, you know, yeah. you look at the beauty of a child, my wife will never forget that. It was I also a cute moment. I also remember uh, a rooming with the Armstrongs, really? Brad and Brian. This was a time when uh, my uh, my wife wasn't on this trip, and uh, we were a little bit off the. We were a half mile or a mile away or so from the 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 residents in there, and the Armstrongs. They come home and man, they've been through a tussle. These guys they're talking ble- bleeding lips, bloody noses, and so. I hear them yelling when they you know as they're coming in and I'm I have this vision when they open up the door that these guys have fended off five six people you know back to back brother to brother turns out the fight was between Brad and Brian in front of everybody like, I didn't see the fight but <laughs> like my brother and I there was a definite no punching in the face well, rule yeah. right like I guess bullet didn't instill the uh, <laughs> these guys clearly taking face shots, you know. So when I asked Brian about it at one of my shows, he went white trash, white trash, you know. That's the way they were. I don't know if any brothers loved each other more or fought each other more, but uh, they were they were a unique family for sure.
1: Brian Armstrong, of course, is going to go on to be road dog. Yeah, uh, we know that he had such an incredible career, you know, not just in front of the camera but behind the camera. Yeah but brad armstrong another guy gone way too soon but everybody who wrestled in Mick says he was one of the best that ever did it just a consummate professional
0: i remember uh, vader coming back and this is you know uh middle of the card he's he's, vader in in a rare match where he doesn't have a, a main event and he comes back and he says what an honor it was to work with that guy and i think everybody felt that way so i only had a handful of matches with brad when he wasn't Arachnoman. yeah, which Marvel exercised its uh, Pretty quickly. veto on But No, that's the same guy, just in purple and yellow. But that was, it was one of those WCW matches at the Georgia Mountain Center. I think it's going to be uh, Hammer and an uh, and Man against me and an opponent I can't remember. And uh, uh, the Georgia Mountain Center was marked by uh, a stairwell at the left side of the building. Uh, that was a straight shot. It was like three or four flights of stairs all leading down. So there were no twists and turns. It just went all the way down. And Dusty's talking to me and he goes, and he gets this far away looking his eye. He goes, oh, damn. I remember <laughs> Tampa Armory. I give Harley Race a shot and I'll be damned if Harley Race doesn't take that whole bump goes down ass over tea kettle down every one of those stairs. You've never seen anything like it. And then he looks at me and goes, Now I'm not saying I want you to try that. And then I go, I think I can do that. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was halfway home to Atlanta that I thought he wanted me to do that. You know, like he made me feel like that idea was my idea. Yep. And I was glad we did it. But going back to, to Brad, I think the most incredible thing I saw from Brad was actually not. In ring, but backstage in a game of Hangman. Okay. Where, with, <laughs> I, I think I'm playing with uh, Dennis Knight and Mark Canterbury. You guys just randomly
1: play Hangman. Randomly back, so. playing
0: Hangman because there's a blackboard up there, right? So it's like Hangman is like Wheel of Fortune, except you have the. For kids. Yeah, for kids. And. It's a long it's a long puzzle. It's gonna be difficult to solve. And there's only like four <laughs> letters that are actually up there. Maybe there's six letters. But I'm saying there's a whole lot of blank spaces. And Brad walks into the room, goes, I love the nightlife. I've got the boogie. And he walked out of the room. We all went, How did you do that? That's exactly what it was, because it was my puzzle. The old seventy song. I love the nightlife. I we've got I've got the boogie. So he was a, he was he was one of those guys, and he is probably the greatest example of the guy who would have been so well served by being the real Brad Armstrong. Yes, and he would make you laugh in the dressing room as hard as anybody, and then he would go out and be boots and trunks. And he was a great worker, but he was always that guy. You know, between him and Midian. Dennis Knight was another backstage uh, entertainer, and uh, I couldn't find a way to channel that. In those cases, couldn't find a way to channel that personality into the the in-ring character.
1: At least I didn't try to make it Brad Armstrong. Just saying. Right, right.
0: So can I? You know, this is one uh, uh, my. I was the commissioner when Naked Midian was in town, right? Yeah. And so it's still plausible in 2000 that the uh, commissioner of a soon-to-be billion-dollar company doesn't have a cell phone, right? It's yeah. plausible, right? So I, I need to, Midian's my assistant. He's, uh, he's got nothing but the pouch, right? He's naked except for the pouch. And I said, uh, oh, man, I need to make a, I need to make a, a phone call. Do you have a quarter? He goes, yeah, right here in my pouch. And I reached back and I said, I, I just need one, not a whole roll, and he said, that's not my pouch. <laughs> just, just, it never made the air, you know? That's it's, tremendous. Is that not a great line? That is business? a tremendous line. That's not my pouch, right? And it never I love made it. the air. At least I don't think it made the air. Yeah. It's
1: trains, planes, and automobiles. Those aren't pillows. Let's <laughs> start talking about the Bears game.
2: We had a blast at StarCast 6. A huge thank you to everyone who attended. And if you want to relive our stage show experience, you can with Premier Streaming Network. Over 20 stage shows took place StarCast weekend, from comedy shows, design panels, musical performances, talk shows, and more, including a live edition of AEW Unrestricted with CEO Tony Khan. Sign up for Premier Streaming Network today and check out the shows available now on demand and in HD. And if you sign up today, you'll get two months free of Premier Plus. Enjoy the amazing lineup of content that Premier Streaming Network offers, including all five previous StarCast stage show lineups. Hundreds of hours of fantastic wrestling content at your fingertips. Visit StarCastOnPremiere.com.
1: Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little more about what adfreeshows.com is all about. Get early, ad-free access to more than a dozen of your favorite wrestling podcasts every single week, starting at just nine bucks. That's less than 20 cents an episode each month. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple Podcasts or your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Ad Free Shows also has thousands of hours worth of bonus content and docu-series like Title Chase, Eric Fires Back, Conversations with Conrad, and The Insiders, plus new series like The Book with David Crockett, Monday Mailbags with Mike Kyoto and Nick Patrick, and a whole lot more. And you want to talk about early, you can't get any earlier than listening to the shows live. You can be a part of the live studio audience as we record the podcast. Plus ride shotgun alongside your favorite childhood heroes for live watch alongs, Q and A's, and other interactive experiences every single month. Come on now, see for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans from around the world have discovered that adfreeshows.com is the best value in wrestling. Check it out today. And hey, when you do, the first week is completely free, adfreeshows.com.